Welcome to the Life's Valleys and Mountaintops podcast. I am your host, Gina Johnson, a certified life coach. You will find stories here from people around the world sharing some of their most difficult journeys through illnesses, accidents, and trauma. Join me on my mission to create a community where people overcoming belong. We inspire and help one another to rise above our difficulties until we make it to our mountaintop. Let's meet our guest today. Today we are talking about suicide. If you have contemplated taking your own life, feel that you don't matter, or would like to have the tools to support someone that is suicidal, this episode is for you. Today I'm talking with Sean Douglas. He is a U.S. Air Force veteran, TEDx speaker, master resilience implementer, and suicide awareness trainer. He's an international radio show, the host of Life Transformation Radio, and author. He's also a suicide survivor who hit rock bottom. Today, he has come to share his own personal journey with you. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored, blessed, and excited to be here. We are excited to share your story, but first, would you just tell everyone a little bit more about what your life looks like today so they can get to know you? Oh, wow, what my life looks like today. Um, most of my time is spent working with clients, uh, working in and on my business. I don't get too wrapped up in, are you working in? Are you working on? Who cares? It's your business. You make it work. Uh, I speak all over the country. I speak about 20, 25 times a year. I host my radio show, Life Transformation Radio, which is a live online radio show that's repurposed into a podcast. And I do a lot of client work. You know, we're either book launch marketing, we are building their their whatever their business is, whatever the framework, infrastructure, whatever that looks like, speaker business, or we are launching a podcast, or we're doing some resilience training, uh, some some mental health stuff. Because what I find, they don't. It's not that they don't know what to do. It's their belief system is messed up. Their mindset is messed up. So. 80% of the work that I do is getting someone to believe that they're good enough. And sometimes I don't even believe that I'm good enough, but we have the systems and strategies in place to make sure that our belief systems and mindset stay intact. So my day is usually consisting of that. Um, my girls got gymnastics. Um, I got four kids. I got my wife who is, uh, you know, carts them around to, to their different things, picks them up, drops them up from school, gymnastics, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, we're very busy over here. Definitely sounds like you're busy and I appreciate your time. You know, I just listened to an interview with Tony Robbins yesterday and he mm -hmm. said that success is 80% psychology and 20% skill. It is. Yep. hundred percent. There's another saying that says that there is no success with failure in the home. So I believe that success has to start in the home. You know, they have to be on the same page. You have to have a support system at home, whether it be your friends, family, you know, maybe maybe it is a Facebook group. Maybe it is a um, high-level mastermind. Maybe, it, you know, whatever. But you have to have a support system. I call it your board of directors. You have to build out your board of directors for your life, not just your business, but for your life. I like that. We'll get more into that when we get into your story. And mm -hmm. we're going to go there now because we always start at the darkest place and work our way to today where everything ends nicely and or hopefully. Can you take us to that moment in time that you consider to be the worst of your journey and tell us the story. We will share what you learned. 
My worst moment in life was December 24th of 2008. I, I was in the military, stationed in Utah. I was in a uh, combat support unit. And in 2008, we were, I mean, I was gone 228 days, I think it was. Over 200 days, I was gone in and out of deserts and deployments and uh, just different different locations, you know, around the world. And the reintegration process back into your life uh, can be difficult. When we reintegrate back in, you know, as military, she, my wife, has been doing everything or your spouse or whoever has been running the household while you've been gone. We come back and say, okay, I'm back. Time to do the things that I was doing before I left, but your family has moved on. Mm -hmm. They've gotten routines. So it's really hard for someone with an A-type personality, especially in the military, to reintegrate, reintegrate back and feel like a valued member of the family. So with all the alcohol abuse and mental stuff that I was dealing with, my wife uh, was not having it. So we had separated and then filed for divorce. Uh, she had taken the kids. Cops had been called. Wasn't any like domestic violence, like, you know, hitting and like all that stuff. It was just like arguments and, you know, neighbors were concerned and, so I remember the cops had showed up one night, said, okay, enough. We've been here a bunch of times. Everybody needs to go. I'm like, it's not me. It's her. Mm -hmm. She says, it's not me. It's him. But luckily there was no, you know, hitting or like abuse like that. Just a lot of swearing, a lot of throwing stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So the cops took her and the kids and all that stuff. And my, my work, my military uh, commander was like, we need to protect you. So we got a no contact order. Now that the no contact order was in place, I could not talk to them at all. I could talk to the kids as long as I wasn't talking to her. But the kids are like super young. I mean, I got babies, you know, yeah. so it's kind of hard to not talk to the mom. So I didn't get to talk to the kids and he could talk to her, go to court, get everything done. And I'm sitting in my house empty through Thanksgiving and then into December, which December is like my most favorite month because it's a lot of family time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, everybody's in good spirits for the most part, except in my house, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of crying and a lot of wallowing in what I did. I didn't get help. I didn't seek a therapist, nothing. Mm -hmm. So December 23rd, I was like, thinking about ending it. Like, I just don't want to be, I just want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. I was abused by my ex-stepfather most of my life before my mom and him split. And I'm turning into that person. I'm turning into the person that I hate the most. And as I sat with that, I'm turning into the person I hate the most. I didn't know how to change. I wasn't taught how to love somebody. I wasn't taught 
how to be the person that I needed to be because I grew up in an alcohol-dominated domestic violence household. When we went to my grandparents' house, that's when I got to see it for a couple hours of the day. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad divorced when I was really, really young. And on the visitation weekends, still, my dad and my stepmother would argue and fight just like they would at my house. So I was surrounded by bad relationships, arguments, all that. When I went to my aunts and uncles or my grandparents, it didn't seem like they argued or it, it was a safer place. But I wasn't raised by a man who said, this is how you treat women. This is how you love women. This is, you know, whatever. So here I am sitting in my house alone, drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels straight, wondering how I can't be happy. And then you start feeling sorry for yourself. And then I started going through the downward spiral. And then I woke up Christmas Eve and I said, you know what? I'm, I'm over it. I'm done. I don't want to do this. I'm out. So I started drinking all day long. And then I went into the closet where we have you know, my weapons. And I pulled out a 9 millimeter, and I had loaded it. And as I sat there on the floor against my bed looking at the mirror, I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is, this is what I'm reduced to. And a part of me thought that maybe I'm too much of a coward to actually take my own life. Maybe it would be easier if I just got in the car and drove and whatever happened, happens. Mm -hmm. But then I was going to take somebody else down with me and I, I don't think I could really the thought of that even made me sicker. So I readied my weapon and I put it in my mouth and I was ready to go. I had made peace with it. I was done. I didn't want to live this life. I was a, I was a screw up. I was losing my military career because I had gotten an article 112, which is drunk on duty. Mm -hmm. I showed up to work drunk. So I was in uh, ADAP, which is the alcohol drug dependency program the military has. I was in that. I was in anger management. And it just didn't help. It, it, that, that's not what I felt I needed. Mm -hmm. I said it'd be easier for everybody. The military wouldn't have to deal with me. The wifey kids wouldn't have to deal with me. My family wouldn't have to deal with me. My family at this point had just written me off. They're like, you're just... Every time I came home, they're like, what'd you mess up now? Nobody was running to the door to see me. Mm -hmm. So my mom used to get sick of getting phone calls from me. Like, I screwed this up. I just got in trouble. I'm wrecking everything. So I put the gun in my mouth. And as I was squeezing the trigger, a phone call came over my phone. You see, my, my dad and I don't have a relationship to this day. We don't have a relationship. I barely talk to him. Birthdays, Christmas maybe, that's it. We don't talk. But he calls me. I don't answer. He calls back. <laughs> and as I pick up the phone, as I'm crying, and I explain to him what's happening, he says, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I've been there. And it was something that I've never heard somebody say before. They're like, oh, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. You're going to make it. You're good enough. You're amazing. And they try to like sympathize with you. But nobody's actually ever crawled into the hole with me. 
until that moment. Then people started showing up to the house, my coworkers and, 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 you know, my, my leadership was knocking on the door. Like, man, we haven't heard from you in two days. Like what's going on. You're supposed to check in, you know, I'm on suicide watch. They're like freaking out. And, uh, and I took that phone call with my dad and then I talked to them at the door and I still had the weapon. I didn't even realize I still had the weapon in my hand. Like I didn't even realize I never put it down. Standing there holding it. So I answered the, Oh man. Yeah, I'm standing there in the doorway holding, holding a weapon. Everybody's freaking out. I'm like, what? They're like, put it down. Just come, just put it down. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up putting it down and I explained to everybody like what was going on. And so I ended up having to stay at my supervisor's house for two weeks. Supervised. I went with him everywhere. I was not to be left alone. Normally, they would put you through a psych class and through some therapy and hope for the best. But then people end up taking their lives. Mm-hmm. They could have written me off. They could have kicked me out of the military. But my commander at the time didn't believe in that. I had a major who believed in taking care of his people. He believed in teamwork and he believed in brotherhood, sisterhood and camaraderie. So I went to live with my supervisor, took away all my weapons and made me stay at his house. I wasn't even allowed to leave his house without him. And when he left, I had to leave. So he's got a girlfriend there and like all that stuff. But he drove me to work. He drove me home. If we had to go get groceries or something, we went together. If we if we went up to Sonic one time, he's like, I'm going to get Sonic. Let's go. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'll stay. He's like, you're not staying here. Let's go. So I was on suicide watch, like round the clock watch for, for two weeks. And then I sought help. They got me some therapists. I started talking to chaplains, which I was so against religion. Mm-hmm. And it helped actually talking to, cause I was raised Roman Catholic. I just didn't believe in it anymore. And I was cursing God. Like, why would you do this to me? Yeah. You know, I, I was raised to pray about you, but yet this is how you treat me. Like I blamed him for everything. And here I am January of, of 2009 and I'm doing therapy. I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I started really, like New Year, New You type, you know, January 1st, here we go, New Year's resolutions. No drinking, no smoking at all. Uh, started going to the gym, working out, going to weekly, you know, the classes. And I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. And then in February, I felt like I was in a better place to where I could really start to like reach out to people. So I started reaching out to family started trying to reach out to some friends, started trying to reach out to you know my wife, and we're getting ready to get divorced. Like, this is it. We're about to be done. And uh, in April of 2009, four months, not drinking, not smoking, doing weekly therapy. I'm happy. I'm, I'm happier. Um, still not at the house. Um, you know, my wife is staying wherever she's staying, you know, and – my, my boss is like, you need to go be a drill instructor for basic training. I was like, are you kidding me? Do you know oh. what I just went through? And now you want me to scream at kids? Like, like, what is wrong with you? Like, I'm not ready for that. He's like, no, you're ready. So my job was closing down. And they said, no, you're ready. You have a powerful testimony. If you stay on this path, yeah, you have a powerful testimony. 
So I applied and then I, I got the job. I got all kinds of recommendations. I had basically done a 180. Everybody was like, man, you're <laughs> such a nicer person because you're not drinking. You're not, you're not doing stupid stuff all the time. When I, when I was drinking, you know, I was that guy that wanted to fight everybody and was just like always crying and heartbroken about everything. Like I was just a sloppy drunk, hated it. People hated drinking with me. And, uh, I went down to basic training at Lackland Air Force Base in um, May of 2009. I had, before I left, uh, we went to court. My wife and I, at the time that we were supposed to be divorced, I said, I don't want to get divorced. I want to get the no contact order taken off. I want to get it taken away. I'm leaving to Texas. Let her move back in the house. Yeah. And I'm going to go. And so this will be our time apart, but we can still talk. So we did talked on the phone, talked about what are we going to do? Are we going to stay? Are we not like, like, let's figure this out. What are we doing? So we had this period of, of, you know, separation, but really talking, like really communicating. And I graduated July 4th weekend. She came down to see me with the kids and we decided that we're going to make it work. We're going to stay together. And we've been together ever since. Wow. That's incredible. Except, except, except. 2011, we separated again because the, the the military was, I mean, I was like stressed to the max. She was stressed to the max. You know, we didn't really have a support system in place like we did in Utah because that's where she's from. So we ended up separating uh, in 2011. We ended up separating for a couple months. And uh, again, I stayed at my, at my co-worker's house and kind of just slept on his couch for a little bit and really kind of just like, are we, are we going to, because the same bad thing started happening. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I'm the guy who goes, and women cringe when I tell them this. I'm the guy that goes, uh, excuse me, why are you calling me that you're tired? I worked all day. Why are you so tired? What, what, what prevents you from making dinner? You know, okay. like, you're the stay-at-home mom. You're the stay-at-home mom. You've been at home all day. You sleep whenever you want to sleep. How are you so tired? I've been at work all day. I'm tired. I'm ready to eat. But again, I grew up in an old Polish family where my grandmother slaved over the stove and my grandfather was waiting patiently at 5.30 p.m. every day for his dinner. <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't have a great upbringing. <laughs> you know, so, I wasn't taught like this is how you respect people. You know, like I, I want what I want. You get can, can just say I've been on both sides of the coin because I've worked full time and I have three kids. And I'm just wondering, has she ever left you with the kids for like three days by yourself? Um, now she has, but no, <laughs> before she's never left me with the kids alone for like days, you know? Uh, uh, so we have four kids now and it's so funny. She left to go out with some friends the other night and I'm texting her like, I can't take this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, the kids are so crazy because we have a 16-year-old, a 12-year-old, and then a 5- and a 2-year-old. And I'm just, like, freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. The baby will not stop jumping off the couch. The 5-year-old's running around the room. The 16-year-old's upstairs playing video games, not doing anything. And the 12-year-old is, is complaining that the 5-year-old is like, I can't. I, this is chaos. I can't even do this. I just – I can't do chaos. Now, if I have organized chaos, to me, organized chaos – I'm totally cool with, you know, because I've organized it. It's my chaos. But when the children bring chaos, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. this is ridiculous. Everybody go away. <laughs> Everybody go in your rooms. Like, I can't deal with this. 
but they don't. And then I have to be a parent and be like, okay, uh, this is what needs to happen and whatever. But yeah, she's never at that time left me with the kids because that would have been, I mean, two kids, okay, but we have four kids. It's nuts. It's just, it's atrocious. You know, I just say that shows how important that a wife's role is because, you know, I have enough friends that are military wives and they say, you know, my husband can go to Iraq. He can be put in charge of all kinds of people, but he cannot manage our kids. <laughs> oh, no, I can't manage the kids. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm in a position in the military where where I, I, I'm the boss. I'm the NCYC, the non-commissioned officer in charge. I run my shop. I run my own work center. I come home. <laughs> and for the first five minutes, I'm like, hi, kids. About 10 minutes later, I'm like, you're getting on my nerves. Like, what is <laughs> happening? Like, why are you doing that? Put that down. Don't, don't, don't. I swear every parent with a child under five has Tourette's. <laughs> like, I'm on the phone. I'm like, yeah, what's going to Don't put that in your mouth. What are you doing? What are you doing? Put it down. Put it down. So anyway, yeah. So I was talking about, oh, my God, don't do that. Jump, stop jumping off that. What are you doing? Anyway, so then I was, oh, my God, stop that. Like, it's, it, it's like, yeah. Like, complete sentences don't exist anymore. It's half sentences, half thoughts, and then go yell at the kid. Don't do that. Put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. What are you doing? Let go of the dog. What are you... <laughs> yeah. Thank God for text. Ridiculous. <laughs> oh, uh... my gosh. Yeah. And my wife just sits there and laughs at me. I'm like, hello, help. And she's like, nope. I got them all day long while you're gone. You're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. Okay, I think we kind of flew right past through a lot of these questions. So I just want to check in with you here. What do you think, yeah. through your story, what would have been that moment for you of where there was a turnaround point looking back? What do you think that it was? Was it that your, your dad phoning? Was it staying with, uh, was it the commander for two weeks? It was It was the, well, it was my supervisor. Supervisor. Okay. Uh, who's yeah, just a listed guy. I, I think it was a combination of, Let's not fail him. Mm -hmm. Let's not send that letter home that we didn't do everything we could to save this guy. And if you look right now, if you just turn on the news and you look at any veterans, just Google it. We are at an all time high for military and veteran suicide. Yeah. All time high. And and it's 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 insane. So the support system that was there in this unit is really what saved me. I was, I was like, there's been a couple of days leading up to this where maybe I'd veer into traffic just to see if I could do it. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I'd veer into traffic a little bit, you know, and, and, and see if I could pull the wheel back or would I just let it go? You know, is Jesus going to take the wheel? <laughs> you know, like this is yeah. it, but it's that support system that they didn't give up on me, even though I gave up on myself, that they didn't give up on me. And I've got, well, one, but I had two guys earlier this year that that were where I live that I used to work with that was in that unit at that time. They just so happened to be where I'm at now. And I saw them, I'm like, holy crap, like, what are you guys doing here? We kind of reconnected, you know? And then I had a speaking engagement and they were at it. I'm like, holy crap, like this is, you know, whatever. Started telling my story and a couple people in the, and I told them I wrote a book about it, you know, and, and there was some people in the audience that were, that knows them. And they were like, is this like for real? And they're like, dude, you have no idea. Mm -hmm. 
like that like everything is i mean it's even crazier than what he's making it out to be but yeah the, <laughs> the cops walking him into the courtroom because he didn't want to go to the courtroom like escorting me like literally escorting me to your analysis escorting me to the therapist to the chaplain escorting me everywhere i couldn't even be by myself and they just said i was i was a risk you know and uh as they pile on you know maybe punishment it, it takes a toll on you. The more they do it, the more you just want to give up. And so there's a there's a difference between giving you some punishment that's helpful rather than just saying, well, I'm going to take your stripe and you're going to go to jail and goodbye. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that it's the support system that was there. They didn't give up on me. I just I wanted to, to dig in a little deeper because if someone else is listening to your interview, like you've told it, enough times now that it, it almost sounds easy it's kind of like well I just you know this happened and then everything huh. got better but like really if you think back to the quitting smoking and quitting drinking and someone is trying to do that right now it's pretty hard right oh it's it's torture it's I mean this is this is 10 years ago I, I'll tell you what though last year at this time I was having I was having significant emotional experiences this time last year because I was on podcasts and I said 10 years ago and it's something about like the decade right yeah 10 years ago 10 years ago 10 years ago I'm like wow has it been 10 it doesn't feel like 10 years and it, and it really and, and and there's been moments along these 10 years you know I remember being in being you know 2014 I'm teaching resilience classes and somebody says, I needed this because I've thought about giving up at the end of this course. If it didn't help me, I thought about taking my life today. A Marine told me that I feel like I take my life mm -hmm. and I instantly, and this is what four five, six years. Yeah. So six years, six years removed from that moment, right? 2014, I'm teaching a class and a Marine tells me I thought about killing myself. And I just jumped in the hole with them. I said, me too, man. You've heard my story. Mm -hmm. I've been there. I've been there. There's a story that, that I, that I want to tell real quick. 15 seconds. Go ahead. A soldier's in a hole that he dug. A leader comes by and says, come on, man, you got this. Dig in. Come on, dig deep. You can get out of that hole. Dig deep. So the soldier digs deeper and digs a deeper hole. An officer comes by. An officer comes by and goes, man, how did you get in that hole? I hope you get out. I really do. I hope you get out. And walks on by. A therapist, a psychologist comes by and spends an hour with that person, figuring out how they got into that hole. And after that soldier tells them how they got into the hole, the therapist says, okay, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. A soldier walks by, hears his cries for help, and jumps into the hole. The guy in the hole says, what are you doing? I've been trying to get out forever. Why would you do that? Now we're stuck here. He goes, no, I've been in this hole, but I know how to get out. And that is more powerful than anybody else. Not the leader, not the officer, not the psychologist, not the therapist.
It's the person who jumps into the hole with you who gets you out. That's powerful. I like that analogy. And, and that's my story. And that's what I tell people. Today is not the day. Today is not the day. You have the power to say this is not how my story ends. I'm living proof of that. But I couldn't do it alone. I was in the hole. And it took people jumping into the hole with me to bring me out. Wow. Well, we're, we're coming close to the end of your time with us. And I still have a few more questions that I'd like to ask you if you have time. Okay. I'll keep them short. Yep, <laughs> yeah, right. I'll keep them short. Let's take uh -huh. a closer look at your story now. I don't know how you'll pick just one thing, but what do you think changed about you the most from this experience you've been through? The belief about myself that I am good enough and that I have value to give the world. Can you share with us one of your personal habits that contributed to your overcoming? Overcoming is just such the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> What's a personal habit yeah. that, that um, contributes to, to the success you experienced today? So I want to tell you that I'm not a success story. I don't consider myself a success story. I battle every day. I sent a text this morning to a very good friend of mine, and he is in a magnificent speaker. And I said, I just, I'm feeling, and I, and I speak everywhere, but he sells from the stage. I don't. I get paid to speak and I just go and speak. But he pays for stage time and then sells and makes, you know, tons of money, whatever. Uh -huh. And I just, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm good enough for that. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just feeling like that's not my lane. Like, I'm not good enough for that. Like, how do you do it? How do you bet on yourself? How do you pay tens of thousands of dollars to speak on stage? And he goes, I bet myself every day of the week. I will bet on myself every second of the day because I believe that I'm good enough. Mm. And so I battle every day. Every day I battle. What really gets me over the edge is counting three blessings a day. Right now, this is a blessing. I get to be on a radio show, a podcast. I get to talk with you. I get to talk to the listeners. One person listening has thought about suicide. And today might be the day that I saved that person's life, but we've never met. But he hears me, hears my story, and decides that this is not how their story ends. If I can just do that, that's what keeps me going, and that is what my belief system is. I believe that I can change one life, just one, and I've provided value, and that one life can affect many other lives. So I count three blessings a day, number one. Number two, I have a morning ritual, which is the miracle morning, and uh, Hal Elrod is the creator of the miracle morning. <laughs> so I have the miracle morning. You do that? We just shared this, the, the last interview I did last week. She went right into Hal Elrod's story. Isn't that neat? Oh, my God. I love Hal Elrod. Yeah, I'm yeah, I, I'm all involved in the Miracle Morning group and the One Life Fully Lived group and the Front Row Factor group. And the yeah, that whole community is just beautiful and I love them. And so I use Hal Elrod's uh, Miracle Morning. But I also, you know, do mindfulness and meditation. And I, I have resilient skills that I teach that allow me to not get to that spiral you know affirmations acceptance of of the situation really if you think about it 
acceptance is key. If you can't change it, then accept it. But if you can change it, just change it. But change is hard for some people. Yes. So, so there's acceptance. So it's a combination of a few things. I love my meditation and mindfulness time. I love my self-talk. I love my affirmations. Um, so that's it. I'll use that one for your resource if that's okay. Absolutely. Sounds good. Okay, tell us this though, because the Miracle Mornings come up a few times, but not anyone who has a 16, 12, 5, and 2-year-old. How do you make it happen when your kids are around? Um, my kids are my blessings and my kids are my why. You have to have a why for what you do. My kids are my why. I don't get on podcasts because I'm a narcissist and I want to talk about myself. <laughs> Most people post on social media all the good stuff. But do they really post anything bad? Do they say I failed today? Mm -hmm. Do they say that I didn't get that speaking engagement? All you see is I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and look at me, look at me, look at me, and all the good stuff. How about we post the bad stuff? I do. And the response that I get is incredible. I failed today. I didn't make this whatever it was. I failed in my goals. You know, This is my takeaway from it. And people are like, oh, my God. And you know what one person told me? This person messages me and goes, Sean, i got to tell you, man, I was really happy to hear that you failed today. I'm really – I'm pumped because you make us feel mortal because I see you're speaking. I see you're hanging out with you know, all these high-level influencers, Joe Polish and all these guys. You're hey, I mean, I would love to do that, but I don't feel like I can. But when I see you fail, it makes me think I can. I'm like, well <laughs> – Thanks. <laughs> you know? But when I have my kids around, uh, like they're at school, you know, so I have time there, but I have des designated family time. So I schedule everything. Number one rule of success, schedule everything. <laughs> everything is scheduled. So family time is scheduled. And in our family time, I work on that. And I always tell my kids, you're beautiful. You're smart. You're funny. Always tell my kids, my 12 year old is like super embarrassed about doing affirmations. My 16 year old is like, Dad, you're weird. <laughs> and then my five year old will start to do them, right? I'm like, You're beautiful. She goes, I'm beautiful. I'm like, Absolutely. And then I tell my two year old all the time, You're a pretty girl. You're so funny. I love you so much. You're pretty. You're beautiful. Like, I'm always speaking life into my children because I didn't have that when I was a kid. Okay. So I think. So really. Yeah. Before you move on, I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Are you saying that you do your miracle morning by including your kids in the process? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. But we also have a nighttime ritual before they go to bed. It's family time. Um, you know, like when they're getting ready for school, I'm like, you're going to have a great day. Like, I'm going to have a great day. You know, like I want them to, to do those affirmations. But at night is when, you know, you know, you say, you know, Good night, don't let the bed bugs bite, like all that stuff. We just we just speak life, you know? You're gonna have an amazing day tomorrow. I love you. You're so good. You're funny, you're smart. Like I try to like affirm my children before they go to bed because I want that to be the last thing I say. I just had a friend um, that I served with back from 2001 to 2004, and he passed away a couple months ago. It was like two months ago. He passed away. He was 38 and had a seizure and stroke in his sleep. And I don't know if it was from sleep apnea. They're still trying to figure all that out. You know, military guys, you never know. Mm -hmm. 
and he has three young kids. Can I? Can yeah. I even wherever I go? Can I even live with myself wherever I go? Can I even live with myself in that afterlife, knowing that the last thing I said to my kids was I grounded them in your disappointment, mm -hmm. and I smacked them or whatever, and that's the last thing I did in this world. I, I no, that's not gonna happen. So no matter if I ground them, no matter if I yell at them, no matter what I do, the last thing I say to them is I love you. I hope you have a great day tomorrow, and um, you know you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're whatever. Oh, I have goosebumps. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, for everyone listening right now, I encourage you to check out Sean's website, thesuccesscorps.com. Of course, it'll be linked into the show notes along with everything else that he's mentioned. Sean, thanks for sharing your time with us. Before we say goodbye, could you just tell everyone what's good and let them know what you're working on, where they can find you? What am I working on? Jeez, it never ends. So I have my radio show, Life Transformation Radio. It's available. It just got accepted to Pandora. I'm pumped. Just got accepted yeah, to Pandora. Cheers. So I had to I had to apply for that. Got that. Uh, it's available everywhere that podcasts are listened to. The main site is blogtalkradio.com forward slash life transformation radio. It's a live show. You can listen to us Tuesday through Friday. And um, you know, based on my website and everything, I'm speaking all over the country. Uh, if you want to be a speaker, let's talk. I got an online course coming out soon to create a profitable speaker business. And I just this year launched my clothing line, LYB Clothing Inc. It's an affirmation and empowerment clothing line. So I want people to know that you're good enough. You're valuable. You can do this. And we'll jump in the hole with you. And so I'm working on that, working on the clothing line, trying to get that launched and off the ground. I mean, it's available. There's a website, lybclothinginc.com. And that's really where my heart and soul is right now is speaking the, um, the speaking, the online course that I'm building for that, working with people to build and scale businesses. And then just, you know, my clothing line and my radio show. That's, that's where my heart's at right now as far as professional life. Welcome back. Well, that was a very powerful interview. I can't believe how close that that was. I found myself holding my breath through his story, right when his dad called just at that exact time. I myself think that that is such a divine intervention that God has a plan for us and he was not done with Sean yet. Let me know what you think. Do you believe in divine intervention? Do you think it's a coincidence? And please share your thoughts. If something that Sean said really touched you or helped you, please give him a shout out on social media. You can send him an email or you can just send your comments to me, Gina at SynergyMindsetCoaching.com and I'll be happy to pass them on. Our speakers just love to hear from you. If they don't hear from you, they never know if sharing their story is helping and helping is just such a wonderful thing that these people that come on the podcast love to do whether it's one person's life they touch or a thousand people's life they touch. The whole point is just to help someone who is still in that dark and difficult place to find their way. So you guys, thanks for being a part of our community, for listening to the show, and I'll be back next week with another episode. Have a great week. <laughs>